welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 260, Why We Hunt Seminar with Brenda Valentine from the 2019 NWTF convention. And I am your host and the guy who is finally back home from an extended vacation at the beach where much of his time was spent in the condo, sitting in front of his computer, working. The good thing about being able to work remote is that you can work from anywhere. The bad thing about being able to work remote is that you can work from anywhere and you never really get much of a vacation if you're working remotely for yourself like I can do and was doing. But hey, you're not going to hear me complain a whole lot because it was a good trip. It's always nice to be down on the Gulf Coast and it was a good change of scenery. Now today we are 149 days, 12 hours, 30 minutes, and 33 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So today I'm going to be pretty quick with my intro and outro because I have a bunch of stuff going on at the office and I'm running a little bit behind getting this episode together to get it out for you. So my intro and outro is going to be pretty quick. I've got for you guys the replay of the seminar with Brenda Valentine that she did at this year's NWTF convention in Nashville where basically she asked the question, why do we hunt? She asked the question of everyone in the audience, Give me a one-word answer. Why do you hunt? And so we've got the holidays right around the corner. I mean, we're basically a month away from Thanksgiving. And then don't blink because Christmas will be here. And don't sneeze because by the time you open your eyes after you sneeze, it'll be January 1, 2020. And of course, since the holidays are right around the corner, what does that mean? Well, hopefully it means that We're going to be spending some time in the woods, and it also means that we're going to be spending some time, probably more time than normal, around friends and family. Some of those friends and some of those family we may not want to spend time around, but we're going to end up around them anyway. And if you're like me, the topic of hunting always comes up when I'm around my friends and family. Because they all know that I love to hunt. And so, if you're also like me, you have family members and friends of family members that you're around that don't 
have that same passion for hunting and maybe don't understand why we do what we do and why you do what you do. So I want to get your wheels turning a little bit this week with the Brenda Valentine seminar, Why We Hunt. But before we jump into that, think back to the last episode of Turkey Soup that I did for you guys. I mentioned that there was an article out that gave some statistics about people's approval rating of hunters. And I read just a few little sentences from that article. But before I played the seminar with Brenda, I want to read the entire article to you. So let's jump into that and then we'll get right into the seminar with Brenda. So this article was printed in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. It was written by John Hayes and you guys can reach John at j-h-a-y-e-s at post-gazette.com. The title of the article is New Study puts the crosshairs on American attitudes about hunting. Now, before I get into this article, I want you to listen. I want you to pay close attention about who did this survey or study, who it was commissioned by, and I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as I read this article to you because, personally, I feel like these numbers that I'm going to give you guys in this article are a little bit inflated a little bit inflated but let me read this article and i'll touch on a couple of things after i read it americans haven't changed their minds about hunting in the last 25 years but their opinions have grown more nuanced days before saturday's opening of pennsylvania's early archery deer season in the region a new national survey shows that the general acceptance of legal hunting has gradually increased from 73% in 1995 to nearly 80%, the highest level ever recorded. Legal hunting, as opposed to illegal poaching, garnered varied support depending on the respondent's hometown, race, gender, and age. Approval ratings were influenced by the species being targeted and the stated reason for hunting. I'm going to read that again. Approval ratings were influenced by the species being targeted and the stated reason for hunting. The survey was conducted by Responsive Management, a research firm that has tracked public attitudes about hunting, fishing, shooting, trapping, and other wildlife-related activities since 1995. Executive Director Mark Damian Duda referenced the company's long-term trend data when determining how attitudes about hunting have changed over the years. While only about 4% of the American population hunts each year, the majority of the American public supports hunting even if they don't personally participate, Mr. Duda and Andrea Crescioni, a responsive management research associate, said in a co-written editorial in a recent edition of Conservation Frontlines. It seems counterintuitive that hunting, an activity in which so little of the population participates, and that which is no longer critical to survival would enjoy such widespread contemporary approval. Nonetheless, social science research clearly confirms this support, they wrote in the not-for-profit e-magazine, which tracks news and ethical hunting and conservation. Support among respondents who were white or Caucasian was 86.5%, Black or African American, 64.6%, and Hispanic or Latino, 
61.5%. Views categorized by race may have been influenced by prevailing hometown attitudes regarding hunting. Support in rural areas was 89.8%. Small cities or towns, 83.4%. And large cities or suburbs, 73.8%. And in an era of declining hunting license sales, the study showed a generational rift. Hunting support among ages 55 or older was 82.7 percent. 35 to 54 years, 81.8 percent. And 18 to 34, 75.7 percent. Prior to the development of farming and agriculture, the hunters in the group were primarily males who would pass the ability to survive on to the next generation by taking them hunting. Mr. Duda and Miss Crescioni wrote, Hunting today is still predominantly a male activity. 83% of hunters are male. Research also consistently shows that it takes a hunter to make a hunter, meaning almost all hunters today were initiated into hunting by another hunter, usually a father or father figure. According to the survey, hunting was supported by 86.4% of American men and 73.2% of women. People who go fishing were more likely to support hunting than those who don't. Approval among those who grew up in a family that owned firearms was 88.3%, but just 65.6% in families that didn't own a gun. American attitudes towards hunting, fishing, sports shooting, and trapping, a 2019 telephone survey of American adults was commissioned by the National Shooting Sports Foundation with the support of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The study showed that even when hunting is supported, approval is not unconditional. Support varied widely depending on why the hunter is hunting. When told the hunting was to protect humans from harm, respondents' approval was 85%. Hunting for the meat rated 84% approval. For wildlife management, 82%. To get locally sourced food, 83%. To get organic meat, 77%. And to protect property, 74%. Americans are much more likely to approve of hunting for those species traditionally hunted for food in hunter-gatherer societies, such as deer, 78%. Wild turkey, 78%, and duck, 74%. Mr. Duda and Ms. Crescioni said, However, support drops with some of the species that posed a higher threat to humans, were more difficult to kill, and were not the type of meat typically consumed. Americans seemed wary of hunters who hunt because they enjoy it. Approval of hunting for the sport was 50%. Hunting for the challenge 41%. This next paragraph is pretty interesting. Although license and landowner fees for legal trophy hunting are used to finance much of the global conservation of those species, support was the lowest for hunters who were out for a rack, a rug, or a full body mount, which only 1% of hunters reported that that was their primary motivation for hunting. Those approval ratings for hunting for a rack, a rug, or a full body mount 
was only 29%. Whether we live with or without hunting today, we seem to have an innate understanding that connects our participation in, opinions on, and attitudes toward hunting. An understanding that persists despite significant historical, societal, and environmental changes, stated Mr. Duda and Ms. Crescioni in Conservation Frontlines. It is this persistence that convinces us as social researchers that hunting is indeed a part of who we are. So my takeaways from this article are probably very similar to yours, and that is that why we hunt has a major effect on non-hunters' opinions of what we do and of hunting. And since we're going to be around those family members and friends more frequently over the next couple of months, now's the time for us to be thinking because we really know it's no one single reason that makes us enjoy hunting. It is all of those reasons. It is the fact that we're hunting for meat or hunting for a rack or that we're hunting for a rug or that we're hunting for a full body mount or that we're hunting for conservation reasons, wildlife management, crop damage. It's all of those reasons that get us up in the mornings or out of a warm house in the evenings to go sit in a tree stand or gets us up way before the crack of dawn to get us out in the woods on a cold, crisp, calm, clear, beautiful springtime morning to chase turkeys. But I think we can do ourselves a lot of good if we concentrate on the results of this study that kind of pick up on which reasons are most acceptable for a higher percentage of non-hunters, which is hunting to protect humans from harm, hunting for the meat for wildlife management, to get locally sourced food, to get organic meat, and to protect property. And then if you want to throw your real personal reason for why you hunt into the conversation, for me, that one word is connection. It's connection to nature. It's connection to the animals that I hunt. It's connection to myself. It's connection to my friends and my family that I hunt with. And it's connection to God. That's for me. It doesn't have to be for you. But when we start off a conversation with a non-hunter or someone who's neutral to hunting, and we give a reason that rates as one with high approval among people, then we can follow with our other reasons. All right, so I've given you guys something to think about. Now Brenda Valentine's going to give you some more information to think about. Listen in closely, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Uh, when they contacted me about doing seminars, and I usually do one every year, and you know, you come up with different titles, but one of the most basic things I think is why do we hunt? Is there anybody in here that can just give a one word reason of why do you hunt? Peace. Peace. That's a big one. Sadly, there's there's so many people that can talk a half a day if they have to explain it to somebody that doesn't hunt and they still aren't convincing. They don't have the words. They know in their heart why they hunt, but they can't tell anybody else. And I think that's a real handicap when it comes to explaining to non-hunters why we're out there shooting stuff. And so I, let's try to figure out to make ourselves more uh, 
I'm, I can't even come up with a word I want on that, how we can express our passion better so that we will be represented better and the non-hunters can understand us hopefully a little bit better. It has to be more than I just want to go kill a big deer. I just want to blow a turkey's head off. That doesn't cut it with me either. You have to be able to express a deeper reasoning if we're ever going to be accepted by people that don't hunt or people that just, you know, they're not really committed as anti-hunters, but they wonder. And that's been a handicap for a lot of us. I'm going to read you uh, this is just a little short something, and it is a foreword to a book that I've had something to do with, and it's not out yet. It, it will be released uh, sometime this spring. I don't know if any of you know K.J. Houtman or not. She is a, a very famed female outdoor writer. She did the biography on J Jim Zumbo. She's written a lot of children's books and stuff. Well, K.J. is a friend, and so she's been working on this uh, nice big hardcover coffee table type book about uh, why women hunt but I'm I'm not I don't like to categorize it yes I'm a woman and yes I hunt but I don't feel like I'm in a separate category as a woman hunter I'm a hunter everybody in this room I hope are hunters and I don't see that we have to differentiate ourselves I just think if you know, if you hunt, fine, it doesn't matter what color you are, what gender you are, what age you are, you're a hunter or, or you're not. But she asked me, and I was honored, to write the uh, introduction to her book, and I'll just give you just a little bit. But <clears throat> A few Sundays ago, our preacher made a simple statement that struck a chord so hard that I immediately went digging in my purse for a pen and a scrap of paper to jot it down. There was hardly a need to write it for his words etched themselves firmly in my mind. Folks don't really care about what you do as they care about why you do it. While I sat there thinking about all the things that this applied to in life, the remainder of the sermon went unheard. This book tells the story of women who hunt, but more importantly, why. And that goes on and, and you know reveals it, it outlines probably, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 women, and they give their reasoning why in this book. But the introduction, and, that, and it starts out into that. So I won't go any more into that, but um, the one word explanations, you know, it, it's tough. So let's, let's dig into it, and at any time, if y'all have something to add or something that you'd like to bring out, jump in. This is not me preaching to you a seminar, you know, they asked me if I wanted a lot of electronics, I don't. It, I think we can all learn from each other and this is more of a group discussion. But the very first reason that I think is the most basics is Genesis 27-3. Uh, it's like food. That, that should be the, mo the most basic reason. That's the reason that hunters began hunting in the beginning was for food and uh, but sadly I think we've gotten away from a lot of that maybe we're headed back in the uh, field to fork and the organic meat movement that we have and and we are bringing in a few uh, hunters that were non hunters because they they want this organic meat but food is the very 
first reason, most basic. The big guy upstairs commanded it, so if you ever have to defend yourself, that should be it, right there, food. Everybody agree to this? You good on that? What about companionship? Yeah, you said peace, but companionship, and I, you know, I think of spouses, I think of hunting buddies, I think uh, we're probably, one of the reasons that we've lost a lot of hunters may be because they lost their companion. You know, you get uh, two old guys that's hunted together all their life, one of them dies, the other one just doesn't care anything about it anymore. And it boils down, maybe it wasn't the hunting that, that was the big attraction, it was the time spent together. And when they lose that, then it's lost the meaning of it. Maybe, what about your favorite old bird dog? I see so many people say, oh, you know, I, I hunted all my life and I enjoyed, you know, helping old Duke in the boat or, or watching Spot Point or something. And after my dog got old and I lost my dog, you know, I don't really have that desire to go anymore. It, it makes a difference. I, I just don't enjoy it after. And to me, that falls under companionship. You can have a companion, you know, it might be a, a chicken, but if it's your companion, you love it, you know. But I see spouses, I see uh, maybe women that hunt and lose their husband, and it's like, you know, it's just not the same going by myself. So a lot of people hunt for the companionship. What about the challenge? Anybody ever uh, kind of got maybe burn out a little bit on gun hunting and gone to a bow or you know the challenge of it all and we keep heightening the bar to where we challenge ourselves nobody puts that challenge to us maybe we've always uh, hunted small game and we want to challenge ourselves to uh, call in our own turkey or maybe kill a bigger buck or something I think as hunters, we are a self-challenging bunch of people. We, we don't want it to be easy. You know, if it was easy, we'd just go shoot a cow. You know, but we want, to, we want to test ourselves and see if we're up to that challenge. And I think every time that we heighten the bar with either our uh, weapon or the means of what we do it, you know, maybe we want to challenge ourselves to go to Alaska and hunt sheep. You know, it, it's daunting just to think about climbing those mountains and, and tackling something like that rather than, you know, going rabbit hunting in your back field. But it's that challenge that drives so many people and I see it every day. It's like, well, you know, I, I killed a doe this year and next year I want to kill a buck or I killed a jake this year and next year I want to try to get a full fan. And so that challenge drives a lot of people. And I, I have a little quirk about uh, people that take their kids hunting, maybe in a, a big preserve or on a famous ranch or someplace where they, they pay a lot of money and they're automatically uh, guaranteed that they're going to kill a monster deer first time. You know, the pictures look good and you know, you got these bragging rights and everything, but I truly think you're doing a disservice to your kid. I think you're shortening their hunting life. I think you're killing it for them because they have no more challenges. They're, they're at the top of the ladder. So how are they ever going to uh, have an appetite 
for a bigger challenge because they they're at the top unless they limit themselves you know with with whatever they're hunting with so I think it's good that we take kids on a squirrel hunt or a, a, you know some kind of easier hunt and let them grow as hunters into larger animals uh, hunting situations that get tougher every time and when you get to be you know my age well then it's like maybe I want to go down a little bit maybe I don't want that challenge but no but you just every time you know you kill an antelope and it's like oh wow that was cool now I'll go after an elk and so you just keep uh, raising the bar every time so challenge to me is a viable answer when people ask you for a one-word reason of why you hunt We've got food, we've got companionship, and the challenge. Anybody got another one you want to add in? One word. You can only have one word. Connection. Connection. Those are all good words. And 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 very true, you know. But what about conservation? Hmm? Balance. balance, the money in it. No balancing out the herd or flock. That's conservation. Yeah. Well, yeah. conservation uh, right now it's generating well the money that goes into it. We are the only group that pays for our own, and I I just never want to call hunting a sport. To me, sports are things that are played with balls, and uh, other than BBs in a shotgun or something. I don't. I I have no balls in my arsenal on this. It's all, you know, hockey and football and baseball are sports. To me, hunting is much deeper and more serious than that. You know, people don't pay money to come in and watch us do what we do, but we fund our own way of life. The the things that we hold dear is paid for by the hunters. That the money for our licenses and you know goes into our hiring game wardens, hiring somebody to monitor uh, monitor us. But conservation is a real reason. People ask me, they'll say, "Well, you know, I've got a new grandkid. What should I buy?" One of our board members asked me this a couple of years ago. He says, "Oh, I got my first grandchild." Said, uh, "What what does a new grandfather get?" And I said, "You buy that kid a lifetime hunting license." And I said, "And your lifetime. I mean, that will last that kid a lot longer than you will. You can buy him a tricycle or a shotgun or whatever you want to, but the first gift to me should be a lifetime hunting license for that kid. You're putting back into conservation and you're setting that kid up for an entire life of the tradition that we all enjoy. So, to me, conservation, it may not be up there with food, but it's up there because we're the ones that make a difference. Without hunting, there'd be no wildlife, and without wildlife, there'd be no hunting. So you know that you are ensuring our future when you're uh, donating or committing to be a conservationist. It is, it's about the balance, but you know, we don't actually set that. that those are game laws that are, that are set. We just help carry out the laws on that. Well, it's sort of self-sustaining because somebody goes back into the habitat 
That's right. To improve it. That's right. And we mean more turkey calls and more camo clothes and all that tax money goes right back in to fund so we'll have more wildlife so we can do that. What about a rite of passage? Do any of you remember your first turkey? Do you remember your first deer or your first fish? Ten years to get my first deer. See there? Ten years because they weren't very plentiful back then. Right. Yeah. But that that is well, a landmark in your life, isn't it? She was a little dough, but I was proud. Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we're not into trophies here, but uh, but that's a, that's a milestone in your life was that first deer because you tried for ten years. But... I see it as a rite of passage every day, and maybe not as much now as it has been in uh, back in further times, but I've spent quite a bit of time in Africa, and it's a huge thing there uh, for a, a young man to take a, a lion. You know, he can't even marry in Zimbabwe until he takes his own lion. I have some spears at home where a young man has to build his own spear, hammer it out, find the exact piece of wood and, and burn it and char it and smooth it out to make the handle. And on one end is a, a round spike that will stick in the ground. The other end is a blade about this long. They're you know, six foot tall or more. And when this man, uh, this young man figures out the wife that he wants to take, then he must kill the lion himself. And the older people in the village, the older men, can help him. You know, they can go around and herd him up and use their shields, but they can't touch the lion. They can only, uh, you know, haze him a little bit for him. And so he has to do this. But I get that. That is his rite of passage. And it also ensures that he's able to take care of a wife. So, you know, if I was getting a new son-in-law, you know, get out here and kill me a lion, dude, or you ain't getting my daughter uh, so that I know that you can take care of her. But it still is. There's probably a, not a, a kid on that floor down there that can't tell you in, in detailed description the very first turkey they killed or the very first deer. And that is their rite of passage. You know, up until they actually do that, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna be a hunter someday, or my daddy's a hunter, or I'd like to go hunting. But once they actually do it, that is the milestone in their life. So that, and most of the time, thankfully, they become lifetime hunters if it was a good experience. What about recreational? Anybody just hunt for the recreation of it? And I don't mean shooting stuff, I mean hunt. It is, it, you know, I, I tell people, I hunt 360 days a year. There's probably five of them at the convention, but I'm only shooting just a few days of that during season, but the rest of the year, I hunt year round. I'm scouting, I'm looking, I'm, I'm working on habitat. It, the year round is hunting season for me. There's just about a month that's shooting season, so, just you know you can say you're you're hunting but that doesn't mean you have to bring something home you're bringing home knowledge you're bringing home memories but i think it's very very recreational i see this as a family time i see that's when you know you spend time walking in the woods my husband and i have squirrel dogs and um, 
this winter, after deer season was over, we spent quite a bit of time running puppies. Just, you know, we don't care if we're killing any squirrels or not, but it's that companionship of the dogs and it's the exercise of walking up and down those hills and the companionship of being together and the recreational aspect of uh, just enjoying watching these young dogs learn how to be uh, hunting dogs. So you know, it, it's a huge recreation for us. We, we just love going. For me, it was quality time with my dad away from the job. Just that companionship. Watch, just the two of us, and I just sit on the bank and watch the fly pitch. Mm -hmm. The first time I picked up a fly rod, you know, that's that that one more thing. Quality. So we've got all these headings that we'll go down to, and uh, but yeah, that companionship. All right, that's all I've got for you guys for the free portion of this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. If you would like to hear the rest of this week's seminar with Brenda Valentine, then you will need to become a subscriber to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. And in order to become a subscriber, what you need to do is text the word Turkey Hunter. Text that to the number 44222. After you do that, you'll be able to create a username and password for the Podbean application and pay your $18 annual subscription fee. Your $18 will get you not only the rest of this week's episode, but it will get you the premium content for all of our past episodes, as well as a premium content for the next 52 weeks. There is a bunch of content out there for you guys that is locked up under the premium subscription, and I think you'll be glad that you spent a measly 18 bucks to get it. I hope that you enjoyed this seminar with Brenda Valentine, and I hope it's gotten the wheels turning in your head, because it might not be over the holidays. It might be tomorrow that someone asks you why you hunt. And they may not be asking as a lead-in for an attack against you. They may just truly be curious. Why do you hunt? So hopefully all of this today gives you a little bit more reason to really dig deeper into why you hunt. And will give you an idea of the best way to answer that question when someone asks. So before I cut you loose today, I'm going to ask you for a favor. The favor of the week this week is to share via text message and the share button on your podcast player application this week's episode with a couple of hunting buddies. It's really easy to do. Just find the share button in your podcast player application. Click on that. Click on your messaging icon and choose a couple of friends from your contact list to forward the link to this week's show to them. I'd be very appreciative if you would do that. And I've got to say, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, 
and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.